Well, thank you for being here tonight to sing to me of heaven. I love to sing of heaven, and I know many of you do too. It's a wonderful, wonderful thought. Uh, the glory that we'll enjoy and that uh, with loved ones gone before us, uh, just the, the very goal of our existence. So thank you for being here tonight to encourage us in our faith, encourage one another, and to praise the God of heaven. It's an old uh, cliche, let's not be hasty. If I've heard that uh, once, I'm sure I've heard it thousand times in my life. Um, the scriptures inform us that there are certain areas of life where this adage can be really well applied. To rush into anything without thinking it through is often going to result in disappointment and failure. I'm sure most of us who are mature have found that out in uh, our lives that there are things we didn't think through very well, we rushed into quickly, we did or said or committed to, things that we really hadn't thought about that much, and it normally does not wind up very well for us when that happens. And that's especially true in the spiritual realm. This is a simple lesson uh, talking about something that is very common uh, for us to deal with, but I think it will be helpful to us, and that's the reason we're talking about it tonight. I'll start with Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 5, which says that the plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but those of everyone who is hasty surely to poverty. So as we're thinking about making our way in the world and uh, trying to make enough money to live on, to support our families, uh, to provide for our needs, planning and diligence typically is the way you want to go with that. Hastiness is typically not the way you want to go with that. And so people who get hasty about uh, making decisions that are financial, we'll talk about this more in a little bit, uh, normally those don't turn out very well. The contemporary English version of Proverbs 21 and verse 5 says, if you plan and work hard, you will have plenty, but if you get in a hurry, you'll end up poor. And uh, I, I think that's a pretty true statement. So... There are four areas, really, that I want to talk with you tonight about uh, where hastiness, if you will, is certainly not a virtue. Let's not be hasty when it comes to making important decisions. There are decisions that we make daily that have significance. There are decisions that we make not so frequently that are life-changing, or potentially at least life-changing. It's an important decision, and we need to think about whether how important a decision is as we're making it. We need to realize that if we make a wrong choice at times, we're literally forfeiting our future. And it could be a, a decision about something that's relatively simple, but the ramifications of it for the future are immense. The case of Esau comes to mind. Esau comes in from the field. He is hungry. He is tired. His brother has a pot of stew cooking. He says, give me some of that. And his brother says, sure, if you sell me your birthright. <laughs> and uh, just like that, okay, what good is it to me if I die? And so he sells him his, his birthright. 
That's the, the kind of really hasty decision. Uh, that you're making, really, you think it's over something simple. I, I need something to eat. I'm making it over a pot of stew. But you're, you're forfeiting your entire future, the future of your children for generations to come in, in the spur of the moment, uh, in, in this completely unconsidered decision that's being made. And the Hebrew writer talks about that in Hebrews 12 and verse 16 when he warns us about being the kind of person that Esau was. He was, he says, a profane person. And he pleads with us not to be a profane person like Esau who, for one morsel of food, sold his birthright. And the tragedy of it is, as he goes on to explain, you know that afterward he wanted to inherit the blessing. He was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. You might wonder what it is, who it is that wouldn't repent or that he couldn't get to repent. Surely, if it was Esau's own repentance, he could have done that, right? In fact, he did do that. He changed his mind, which is the definition of repentance, about a decision that he made. But the repentance, the change that he couldn't affect, was the change in the mind of his father, Isaac. Because Isaac decided something, gave his word about something, and then that was the way it was going to be. And there was no way that Esau was going to get his father to change. And so here's what it is. We make a decision. We think, well, you know, I can get out of that contract later. I can go back on that later. We'll work something out different. And maybe not. Maybe not, especially if it's not up to you to make that choice. In Esau, we learn that sometimes making a decision about something as simple as a a pot of stew and your inheritance, anything from a pot of stew to an inheritance, can change your life and alter it, send it on a trajectory that you don't want to be on, but you might not ever be able to get off of it. You might not ever be able to change it. This reality, I think, is especially important for young people to understand. When young people get to, you know, the age where they enter the adult world, and I consider that to be when they start driving and getting jobs, they start to enter the adult world, and, and, and they're, they're, they're learning, they're making choices, sometimes they're making very big choices, uh, what they're going to do with the rest of their lives, who they're going to spend the rest of their life with, Uh, All of those sorts of things. To to make an unconsidered decision. Now, now just because you consider a decision doesn't always make it right. Just because you take your time with it doesn't mean you're always going to be right about that. But just to to, to fly off the handle and in the spur of the moment, or because you have some urge to do something, make a decision that's going to affect your life, is not wise to say the least. And so we're encouraging you from Scripture to not be hasty about making important decisions and forfeit your future. It's also good not to make a big legal deal uh, out of something. Uh, how many times you've heard somebody, you know, they're, they're mad at a company or maybe the doctor didn't do them right or something like that and first words out of their mouth, I'm going to sue, you know. <laughs> We're living in a really uh, litigious society where, you know, people sue one another at the drop of a hat it seems like. Uh, There's some instruction given to us 
that Paul wrote to the Corinthians about not going to law with brothers, first of all, that we might do well to take in consideration before we tell a brother or sister in Christ that we're going to sue them for something. But, but beyond that, there's a bit of wisdom in the Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 8. Do not go hastily to court, for what will you do in the end when your neighbor has put you to shame? It's one thing to enter into a lawsuit. It's another thing to come out of the lawsuit uh, better off than you went into it. And the, and the only people, you know, nine times out of ten, the only people that come out of a lawsuit better than they went into it are the lawyers. Just that, that's kind of how our culture works. And the chances of you going into a lawsuit and, and being sued in return are astronomical. Most people, when they enter into a lawsuit, are going to be sued in return. And so you're going to have to be answering a lawsuit as well. And again, most times you're not going to come out of that like you think you will. This is great advice from a wise man that still applies today. And thirdly, I think when it comes to decision making, I think we need to be really cautious and not hasty about entering into alliances with those of dubious character or those whose character we're not sure of. As Christians, and especially those of us here at Eastside who know, pretty one, know one another pretty well, uh, it's, it's easy for me to make an agreement about almost anything, to enter into an agreement about doing something, with, about almost anything, with almost any of you. Because I know I can rely on you, and hopefully you can rely on me, and we feel that way about each other. We trust one another, and that's, that's good. That's the way it should be. But even among brethren, there are some, you know, who aren't really reliable and we need to be cautious about entering into alliances there but listen to what Paul tells Timothy in 1st Timothy chapter 5 and verse 22 do not lay hands on anyone hastily nor share in other people's sins keep yourself pure the idea of laying hands on a person uh, always conveys in New Testament times the transference of one thing to a, a, something from one to another. And often it's, it's a blessing. Uh, laying hands on someone indicates that you're giving them a blessing or you're joining with them in what they're doing. You're supporting them in what they're doing. And that's the sense that, that Paul is using it here. So, so don't just be supportive. Go along with encourage anyone and everyone until you know something about their character. And the follow-up warning to that is lay, don't hastily lay hands on anyone and don't be partaker of other people's sins because the two are connected. You, you start supporting people and you don't really know much about their character. You enter into an alliance with them. Maybe you decide you're going to be friends with them at work or at school and you, get, you join their posse or their gang or their group or whatever it is and, and you're, you're, you're together with them. And then you realize these people are no good or this person is not the kind of person I want to be around. It's a lot harder to get out of those kinds of alliances than it is to get into them. And it's really easy to be involved in things you don't need to be involved in once you've made an alliance with someone who doesn't have very high character. Again, this is a great lesson for young people. Choose your friends wisely. 
Choose what you're going to support carefully. So let's don't be hasty about making important decisions. And decisions uh, about your long-term future, about solving big matters, even legal-type matters, and what kind of friends you're going to have and support, those are huge decisions. Take time to make them. Secondly, don't be hasty in anger. Every time I preach about anger, I know that I'm preaching to myself. I, like a lot of men, have a temper that I sometimes lose. And I think most men, for some reason, have issue with that. And not too few ladies as well. But what we need to understand about our anger is we can't let it control our impulses. We must not be hasty in anger. It leads to really foolish actions. Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 9, Do not be hasty in your spirit to be angry, for angry rests in the bosom of fools. In Proverbs 14, 29, He who is slow to wrath has great understanding, but he who is impulsive exalts folly. So we get mad, we do something impulsively, and it winds up just being foolish. I've, I've said this before uh, multiple lessons in years past. If you think about the, the most foolish, embarrassing thing you've ever done, or make a list of the ten most foolish and embarrassing things that you've ever done, mine would be a lot longer than ten, but I could think of ten pretty easy. In most of them, in most cases, I was mad. I was angry when I did something that was foolish and I later regretted. And if you think about it, that's probably true of you as well. What's the text say? He who is slow to wrath has great understanding, but he who is impulsive exalts folly. It's like you're just lifting up folly and foolishness in your life when you become impulsive with your anger. You don't want to do foolish things, don't act in anger. Hold it back. Anger stirs up strife. You know, what causes fights typically is somebody gets angry. And that leads to arguments of words and sometimes fights with fists and sometimes confrontations with weapons. An angry man stirs up strife. So the Proverbs say in Proverbs 29, 22, a furious man abounds in transgression. Anger is often expressed in words, but sometimes it's not the words themselves that do the expressing. Anger, most of the time when it is expressed, is expressed most clearly in the tone of voice. You can say the same words lovingly as you can say in anger, and they mean completely two, two different things. Uh, Coach Merle has an illustration he's used about along this uh, line. You know, if you say, I love you, but you scream it in somebody's face, uh, that they're not hearing I love you, right? <laughs> uh, there's, the way you say things is important. 90% then, according to one study, 90% of friction between people is caused by the way something is said. Not what was said. 
but the way something is said. So realize that your anger can be expressed in the tone of your voice. We'll talk about our words in just a little bit, but be careful and cautious about the tone of your voice because that can stir up strife as well. The main thing about anger is that it causes and leads to a lot of sin. You notice the verse we just read in Proverbs 29, 22, a furious man abounds in transgression. People who are angry commit a lot of sins while they're angry. And you can think of violent acts, sins with words, all sorts of things. You, you, you talk to people about, you, you know, you did that was wrong. Why did you do that? And they'll tell you, well, I was just mad. How many times have we heard that? Well, I was just angry. That's why I did that. I, I, I didn't mean to do that, but I was just angry. An angry man abounds in transgression. James writes in James chapter 1 and verse 19, Beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to, slow to wrath, The reason for it is, he says, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You, in your anger, in your human emotional state of anger and wrath, you are not going to do the right thing. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The psalmist pleads with us in Psalm 4 and verse 4, be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Don't let your anger lead you to sin, but it often will. If you let it have its course. One of the greatest things a human being can do is manage his anger. There are a lot of great people who accomplished amazing things in this world who are not remembered as being great because of their anger. Let me give you an example. He passed away this month, November 1st. Some of you who are college basketball fans will know the name Bobby Knight. Bobby Knight was the head basketball coach of Indiana University for decades. He was one of the most successful coaches in NCAA history, led his team to multiple national championships. Bobby Knight is someone that uh, my brother-in-law knew pretty well when he was living in Indianapolis and would often try to counsel him about various things, I think, including probably his anger. But Bobby Knight is not remembered as a great coach. He's remembered as an angry man. Uh, He did a number of things over the years, throwing chairs, abusing players, abusing referees, all sorts of things that he's remembered for. But he's not remembered as much for his greatness. What's the greater? Being a winning basketball coach or controlling your anger? I want you to listen carefully to these words. Proverbs 16 and verse 32. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Doesn't matter how big a winner you are. You'll never be a bigger winner and do a greater thing than controlling your anger. And I need to learn that, and we all need to learn that. Don't be hasty in venting your anger. Managing it 
his true strength. We don't need to be hasty despite what we're being told constantly in our society. We don't need to be hasty when it comes to seeking riches. Seeking riches, in fact, often has the opposite effect. Those who seek them often wind up in poverty. It doesn't matter whether you're a greedy hedge fund manager or somebody who's uh, playing the lottery or addicted to gambling or whatever it is. It's those who are most involved and most, uh, you know, just dedicated to seeking riches that often wind up in the very worst places financially. Proverbs 28:22: a man with an evil eye hastens after riches and does not consider that poverty will come upon him. The lesson I preached uh, along this line some time ago on covetousness, I don't know that I preached it here, but um, in that lesson we're talking about gambling, playing the lottery and such as that. You realize how many people who have won the lottery are, are now entirely impoverished. And I mean I'm talking about people who won millions and millions of dollars and it ruined their lives. It ruined their family lives in many cases. It ruined them financially, ultimately. I, I don't know the exact percentage, but a very high percentage of people who win the lottery wind up in on what we used to call skid row, in, in, in a bad place. And the Bible tells us that. So, you know, just because there's an opportunity to get rich, and especially one to get rich quick, and you'll have... People calling you on the phone, uh, scammers that tell you you can get rich quick. And you'll be sent emails that, and uh, messages even on your phone that tell you if you, you know, click on this, you'll be able to uh, have access to this amount of money or whatever it is. And uh, you, we, we get that all the time in our society. It doesn't work out that way. A vast amount of the time, not necessarily a majority, but a, ma a vast amount of the time, it doesn't work out that way. There was a man... Uh, in the early 1980s by the man name of Albert Lowry. And uh, he's the first one that I remember doing this. I suppose others had, have done it maybe before, but since then, certainly. He wrote a, a book entitled How You Can Become Financially Independent by Investing in Real Estate. It was a best-selling book in the early 1980s. He made millions on the book. I don't know how much he made in real estate. <laughs> But he made millions on the book because people wanted to be, get rich, you know, investing in real estate. And so all these people that write these get-rich-quick books, and they make millions of dollars getting rich quick, they know how to get rich quick. The way to, way to get rich quick, whatever the topic is, apparently, is to write a get-rich-quick book. You know, that's... But, again, with a lot of people who do that, including Albert Lowry... He was at one time worth over $35 million, and that was back when $35 million was a little bit of money. He went bankrupt. His company went in, you know, completely insolvent. He was, again, down and out within 10 years of having written that book. And that's not an unusual story in the world. Seeking riches often leads to poverty, but it often leads to much worse. It can generate all sorts of hurtful lusts that create many sorrows. Go to the familiar passage with me in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and see what the apostle here says to us about that. That those who desire to be rich, 1 Timothy 6 and verse 9, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare 
and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. People who want to get rich, they're, they're uh, people who often will be caught by these phishing scams and uh, spam calls uh, offering, you know, I can bring you this much money if you'll give me your bank account number or whatever it is. People who already have way enough money already and yet they think here's an easy way to get more money and they become susceptible to those kinds of ploys and tricks. They fall into temptation and a snare into foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Then Paul goes on to say, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some, having strayed from the faith in their greediness, have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And again, losing family, hurting others, causing all kinds of problems for their faith and in their faith. Let's not be hasty about seeking riches. And lastly, let's not be hasty in our words. We need to watch our mouths before God. There's a passage in Ecclesiastes, I've often thought about this, uh, where the wise man says in verse 2 of chapter 5, Do not be rash with your mouth, and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. Just stop right there for a minute. Let not your mouth utter anything hastily before God. When is it that we are not in the presence of God? When is it that he doesn't know what we're saying? When is it that he doesn't hear us? Let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. God's aware of everything you say, whether anybody else is around or not. Again, we all need to realize this. I need to, you need to. God is listening. We need to be careful about what comes out of our mouths. Because God is listening. He says, let not your mouth utter anything hastily before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth Therefore, let your words be few. Most all of us would do well to say less than we say. But especially if we're angry or, as we've already talked about, or if we're just not thinking, again, as we've already talked about, we need to be really cautious about what it is that we say. Proverbs 10 and verse 19 says that in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. The more that you say, the more opportunity you have to sin with your mouth. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. He who restrains his lips is wise. It might be good to learn just not to say so much. And we're going to be judged by our words. And I don't mean initially that we're going to be judged by God. We will be, and I'll talk about that some more in just a sec. But others judge us by our words. In this life, someone said, if we speak in haste, your word, our words will have little or no meaning, but they will leave a lasting impression. Hasty words, unthoughtful words, 
Words, you know, we're just talking to be talking. We just say something without thinking about it. We might hurt somebody's feelings. We might show ourselves to be inconsiderate. We might show ourselves to be self-centered and, or lots of things. You know, we, we can say that leave bad impressions with other people. But the, the unconsidered word is often the word that leaves the longest impression with people. People are determining what they think about us by what we say. And so, Proverbs 13 and verse 3, He who guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. You want to get along with people? Be careful about what you say. We're going to be judged in this world that way, and we're going to be judged in the world to come. For by your words, Jesus said in Matthew 12 and verse 37, by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Hasty words ruin our hope for the future then in this life and the life to come. Proverbs 29 and verse 20. Do you see a man hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. It's no wonder that James also commands us in the context we looked at earlier to be slow to speak. Not only slow to wrath, but let's be slow to speak, beloved brethren. Let everyone be slow to speak. Be careful and not hasty. So we've talked about four things that uh, are not good to be hasty in. And I hope that as we've thought about these things, looked at our lives, look at how we operate in life, each one of these pieces of biblical counsel will help us live better lives and lives that are more pleasing to God and hopefully even to ourselves. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, sometimes I just get in a hurry. Well, you know, I'm just kind of an impetuous person. Uh, I'm a Peter. You know, Peter was hasty quite a bit, wasn't he? He wound up making a pretty good disciple, though, didn't he? So maybe you are that impetuous, impulsive person, and your tendency is to do things and say things in haste without really thinking about it. Well, as we've said, we all need to rein that in. But if you, if you need to be hasty and you just say, well, that's my personality, and I just get, you know, where I just got to do something. If you need to be hasty about things, you can channel that. We all need to channel that into this. If you have to be hasty, be hasty to obey God. You know, here's the thing that we can all jump on the bandwagon, right? God says do it. Let's do it. Here's the thing where everybody wants, oh, I need to consider that. I'm not too sure, you know, if I want to get into that or commit to that or whatever. God said do it. Let's jump into it. That's the way it needs to be. Here's where we can be just, you know, as, uh, if you will, impetuous as we want to be. Let's do what God said. I made haste and did not delay to keep your commandments. You'll never regret that. Hastiness in almost every other area of life, you'll probably wind up regretting. Being hasty in obeying God, you will never regret it. Tonight, 
Is there something that you know God wants you to do that you've been putting off? It may be being baptized for the remission of your sins. It may be confessing a fault. It may be going to a brother to resolve a problem. It may be telling somebody you love them. It may be showing some kindness to somebody who needs kindness. Could be a lot of things that you know God wants you to do. To him who knows to do good and does not do it to him in his sin, you need to be hasty in doing that good thing that God wants you to do, whatever it might be. And if it's something we can help you with publicly tonight, we'd ask you to come while we stand and while we sing.